Uh, we're excited to have you join us today as we talk about our assignment and the assignment uh, that God's given us. And um, we had this last week, we had a great week, didn't we? First week right here at Apple Valley, the place was full of people uh, worshiping the Lord and, and doing some incredible things, lots of miracles that have happened. And uh, I brought up, you know, one soul, one disciple, one miracle. How many are working on that, right? And I believe that's going to happen. Um, as we look at the 2024 going forward, um, we, as the team felt that, that this was the year God was challenging each of us to really engage in things that matter in our eternal positioning, uh, serving people, ministering to people, engaging in our community, our families, engaging in prayer, worship, and engaging in word, engaging in relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Something we do that kind of assists and helps with that is Kairos Retreat on March 1 through 3rd of this year. We, we just encourage you to sign up right away because if you don't, um, you may not have a spot there. And, um, and so we want to encourage you to do that because there's a limited number of spots. The place just isn't as big as what we used to use. So I encourage you to sign up. You know, um, one of the things that I've heard a lot over the last uh, number of months, even over the last year, is that evil is increasing across the earth, that evil is increasing. It's one of the great lies that Satan wants you to believe is evil's increasing. And you say, well, what do you mean Satan wants us to believe it? Satan loves any time he can get people who claim to be Christians to testify on his greatness. And so when you say evil is increasing around the world, what you're doing is actually testifying of the power of Satan. Can you believe how the evil did this and the evil there and what bad thing happened there? And what it's done for many Christians, as well as many people around the world, it has caused us to become hopeless. See, evil is not increasing across the planet. This may shock you, but the angels of darkness can have babies. Satan is still only one. There aren't multiple Lucifers. Like evil and demons that are operating have always been there and they've always been operating. Maybe you hear about it more because of social media and the internet, but evil is not increasing in the world. And yet Satan has used that lie to get us to become hopeless about our Generation Z, about millennial, about so so we start to. If you're older, you start to look and you think the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and and the younger generation goes, ah, no, it's not, <laughs> right? I can understand why the world would be hopeless. I can understand why the world would be hopeless about a broken marriage. I can understand why a world would be hopeless by children that are addicted to substances that are killing them. I can understand why the world would be hopeless by the political aspect of what's going on around us. I can understand why the world would be hopeless about AI and the effects of AI on a culture. I can understand why the world is that way. What I don't quite understand is how the church can get to a point where the things that are happening in the kingdom of the world are impacting the hope we possess in the kingdom of God. How can we look at the King of Kings and walk with the Holy Spirit and then look at the things around us and lose hope 
and start to live in anxiety and fear, which comes from the pit. When we have the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords, the line of Judah, the Lamb of God, the everlasting Father, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who sits on the highest. How can we lose hope? That's what I want to understand. You know, if you look at, and I think part of what happens is, we spend too much time meditating on what the devil is doing in culture and in the news and everywhere than we do on what God's doing. You know, before last year, there were many Christians that would say, I don't know that God is raising the dead anymore. I don't know if God's actually raising the dead, and yet the Bible says these signs will follow them, they'll believe, they'll heal the sick, they'll cast out demons, the no deadly poison will harm them, and they'll raise the dead. I want to just take last year, for instance, because the Holy Spirit is moving. Listen, if you're a believer at Bethel's Rock, you should never ask the Holy Spirit to move. Because he'll tell you this, I've never stopped moving. It's you're the problem. I'm not the one that has to move. You need to start moving. Let's look at last year, 2024. (laughs) There was a man... National television, Monday Night Football, most watched show uh, on, on a weekly basis is Monday Night Football. Dun, 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 dun. A man tackles a guy. He stands up and in front of everybody, falls over backwards, dies in front of thousands, millions of people. Watch him die on a football field. When people finally realize what happened, that it isn't a hurt ankle or a messed up knee, when they finally realize he's already been dead for a couple of minutes, when national football players who are believers in Jesus Christ go over to the man and they begin praying for him, and this dead body on a football field comes to life in front of millions of people. How many know God never stopped moving? And what's even more crazy, the next day on ESPN, with millions of people watching, the host of an ESPN, and there was a, there was a preacher that reminded me of this, this story. In fact, I didn't even know all the details. I saw the ESPN episode and I had to go back and look it over. But the, the guy goes, this is amazing. This dude was dead. The football players came over and prayed, and he came back to life. And another commentator goes, yes, and now we need to take a look at player safety. And the host goes, no, 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 no. This dude died. People on the field came and prayed for him, and he came back to life. Another commentator then goes, no, no, now we need to take a look at playoff uh, seating and how all of this is going to affect playoff seating. He goes, no, 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 no. Guys, we're missing it. Like, this dude died. Dead on the field. They prayed. And this guy opened his eyes and he's alive. He says, I think we need to stop. This is on ESPN. I think we need to pray. That happened last year. But why ain't, it, why ain't any Christian talking about that? We're too t- busy talking about all the evil in the world. Stop t- 
testifying on what Satan is doing. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony of what God's doing. That's who we are. If that wasn't enough, a college in Kentucky. Do you know that people in Kentucky are missing more teeth than any other state in in the union? I just threw that out there because I'm not from Kentucky. If you are, I'm sorry. A college in Kentucky. Gen Zers, they're all bad. Bad. Apparently they're horrible. They're all going to hell according to some Christian because they're all on this internet thing. They're on the social media. We've written them off because they're more, literally, listen, they're not going to pretend they're believers. They either are going to be or they're not. There are a whole lot of people in generations before them that were okay with pretending to be believers, although they didn't believe in anything. They want something real and authentic, and they're going to run after that. That's what they want to experience. These Gen Zers, the lowest category of Christians in the country, Gen Zers will not be the lost generation. They are going to be the reset generation. Just as the silent generation was back in that day, reset, you've forgotten that we were at this place before and the silent generation came along and they reset their heart toward God and authenticity took place of pretending and this fake Christian religion and it became real and we need a reset. At Asbury, Kentucky, these kids who'd rather, most college kids would be rather do all kinds of other things. They decided, no, what we want to do is begin to fast and pray and seek the Lord and begin to worship a living God and stay up all night doing it when most people would never come to an all-night prayer meeting in this room. And I'm going to call out, I, I rarely ever do this. I almost never do this. Almost never. Especially recently, I'd never do this. But I was so irritated by someone who calls himself this just great guru. Mr. MacArthur, wake up. Don't ever come against this generation and how they worship God. God is moving. If that wasn't enough, there was a film that came out called the Jesus Revolution film. It was only expected to make five to seven million dollars. It ended up making over 60 million dollars. Greg Laurie ended up baptizing over 5,000 people at Pirate's Cove in Orange County, California, who got saved by watching that movie. I think the Holy Spirit is moving. On top of that, a biology chair at Stanford University, not a Christian school, got on his podcast and he began to talk about some of the things he needed to talk about. And then at the end of his podcast, he says, I want to take the larger portion of my time and talk about an encounter I had with Jesus Christ and how he changed my life. And then he began preaching on the good news of Jesus. Biology chair, Stanford University. And if that's not enough for all the Latinos and Latinas in this room, Daddy Yankee, not the New York Yankees. Some of you are like, does he even know who Daddy Yankee is? He goes on stage and he says in front of his entire audience, I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and I will never be the same. 
We are on the brink of an explosion of the light of God. This is not the time for the church to lose hope as the world has lost its hope. This is the time to engage with the moving of the Holy Spirit and to become obedient with the assignments he's calling us into. Genesis 1, 1 to 3 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without shape and empty and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. There's a theory that says that between 1 and 2 is the gap theory that it was during this time that Satan and Lucifer was thrown to the earth with a third of the angels uh, that were uh, in rebellion to God. And and there was such chaos and darkness in this. And, And then you come to 2 and look at what happens. But... In the midst of the darkness, but. In the midst of the chaos, but. In the midst of the rebellion, but. In the midst of the disobedience, but. The Holy Spirit of God was moving over the surfaces of the water. And he spoke, let there be light. And there was light. You, my friend, are the light of the world. And when he spoke, let there be light, I prayed this morning, the Holy Spirit speaks into your life, let there be light that would shine from you, that would shine into the darkness. Do you believe the same Spirit is moving across the world today? Because I do. And I believe there's a gospel explosion. My friend, it's when things get dark that people lose hope. That hopeless is running dark in this country. But don't underestimate the power of the gospel to push back darkness. Don't underestimate the power of God that overcomes the lies of the enemy. The truth of God that overcomes the lies of this world. Don't underestimate the light of God that shines in the most dark places. Don't underestimate the... Oh, oh, come on. Amen, pastor. You're just so passionate today. That's because I fasted last week. Oh, he's so cute up there doing that. Something needs to shift in our hearts. Because we all need to get more passionate about the fact that the gospel I'm preaching has the power to break the, the strongholds of the enemy, the bondages of the enemy over lives, the lies and blindness of the enemy over that people will be in to see again because there's power in the gospel and in the anointing that I carry that lo- darkness fears the light that I am. It's the dead, like literally, it's the hopeless dead church that Gen Z is running away from. If you want young people in the church you worship at, you better start shining the light because they're not going to put up with your darkness. They're not going to put up with the dark messages that we preach that bring no life. They're looking for something real. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a pastor of a church that is engaged in their assignment to be the light of the world and enjoy the adventure of what God's asking us to do. The assignment is a specified task or amount of work assigned or undertaken as an, if assigned by an authority, a position, post, or office to which one is assigned. Assignment is different than purpose, and I'm going to show you how it is in a moment here. But purpose is over, uh, overarching calling. The assignment is the activity. 
You know, the Apostle Paul had the purpose of an apostle, but he would be obedient to the assignments. If you look at Acts 23, 11, it says, The following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. I want you now to testify me in, about me in Rome. I want you to go to Rome. Are you willing to accept the assignment? Paul said, Yes, I'll accept the assignment. Paul knew it wouldn't be easy, and it wasn't. He was imprisoned. He was accused. He was imprisoned. He was put on a ship. The ship was shipwrecked. He's in the water at the point of death. All along the way, he gets to shore. When he gets to shore, we look at Acts 28, 3 and 5. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood after or going through this whole experience, and he put it on the fire, and a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself to his hand. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Some of us are so afraid of the vipers that we're going to encounter when we do what God's calling us to do rather than to walk in faith and say, I'm on assignment, so when I get on this airplane, it ain't going down. There ain't no slug door going to come out of this plane and sink us. We may go down, but we're going to all live. Why? Because I'm on assignment. God called me to an assignment. We can go to places that are going to be, but I'm on assignment. I have an assignment to fulfill. It isn't going to be easy. Listen, if you think doing what God's asking you to do is going to be easy, it isn't going to be easy. But it's going to be an adventure. You're certainly going to have stories to tell, if not here in eternity. I mean, I, do you really want people yawning during your life story in heaven? <sighs> they were born. They were born, they gave their life to Jesus, and they died. I'm glad that was short, because I might have fell asleep. Abraham is the father of many nations. His purpose was father of many nations. Genesis 22, 1-2 says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Abraham said, here am I. Then God said, take your son, the one you, that Abraham loved. This was the thing he loved more than he, he loved him. It was the promise fulfilled. It was like he's the one. He, like we were old. We didn't have one. He fulfilled our heart. He said, go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice that thing you love as a burnt offering on the mountain. I'll show you. <laughs> like I think most of us say, okay, well, let's negotiate, God. I have Ishmael, how about I do that one? How about I go, God, you know what, you know what Abraham does? God gave him an assignment. And when God gave him an assignment, he said, I have an opportunity to experience God in a way I've never experienced him before. So I say, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm going to say yes to the assignment. Er, look at Genesis 22, 3, it says, early the next morning. Abraham didn't wait to understand before he responded to the assignment. He got up, loaded his donkey, took him with two of his servants and his son Isaac, and they went up. Our ability to respond to God's assignments will directly be tied to what we believe about God. I know, God, you're a good God. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, God. I, I, I get it. I know that. I believe that. So I'll be obedient to the assignments you give me. Philippians 3, 12 to 21. This is really a theme of all of this. Not that I have already obtained all this. There's some people really think they've obtained everything there is. Do you know we're reading through the Bible in a year? Did I bring that up here? I didn't bring it up. I'm appreciating this is my third time, so I don't remember if I said it or not. 
But, but we're reading through the Bible in a year. We're going, we started uh, last week on Wednesday from, at 12 noon. You can get online and you can ask any questions you have about what we just read over the last week. And I'll be online with Alex and we're going to be talking. We'll answer those questions. Some I will not be able to answer. Some of the questions last week, there's like, I thought they just got on like they had that little spirit of wanting to stump me. And I'm like, you're going to do that because there's incredible questions you'll find in the Word. And I have no idea. Right? But it's a time of kind of talking about the scriptures and interacting about it. And we do that on Wednesdays at 12. And, and you know, most people, most people I know, in fact, I know very few people who've actually read the entire Bible. Oh, I've read the whole Bible. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Really, you haven't. It's like when you buy a book from Amazon and you said, I read it because you bought it. Right? It's like on your bookshelf. So you read it, or you read the first three chapters and you never read the... Most people have never read the entire Bible. They've read a lot of it, but they've never read the entirety of it. This is an opportunity to do it as we go through it a year and then discuss it. So join us. But what's interesting is there's a lot of people who think, well, I've already obtained everything. There's like, I, I'm, I'm, I've been in the church for 40 years. There ain't much you're going to tell me, Sonny. I'm going to tell you this. If you think you've even scratched the surface of what God has for your life, you're boring. You're boring. Not that I've already obtained all this. Paul was saying this. I promise you didn't do more than Paul. Or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straying toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love that part. Like if you think you're right about this, God will show you you're wrong. He's going to show you wrong. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And there are some Christians, that's the gist of their spiritual life. They're just trying to live up to what they experienced. They're trying to recapture what they experienced. God has so much more than what you've ever experienced. Join together and following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have, uh, you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you to be, and when you say, by the way, when you say don't follow me, I mean, I'm not perfect. That is a pagan mentality. The Bible, if you want a biblical view, you should be saying to people, follow me, I'll be your example on how to run after God. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship my home is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like your glorious bodies. I have a lot of verses here. The first thing I'm going to go through very quickly is you have a purpose. You have a purpose. God created you with purpose. Ephesians 1.18, it's my prayer for you. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened so that you can come to know the hope of your calling your purpose. Philippians 3.12, which we just started, said, but I press on to take hold of, of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I'm pressing on to try to figure out that purpose. I want to fulfill the purpose, right? But a lot of us are spending a lot of energy, wasting a lot of energy trying to find our purpose, and our purpose is very simple. 
Psalms 139, 13 to 16 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It doesn't matter if your parents expected you or they were planning for you or not expecting you or not planning for you. It doesn't mean matter if you were in, an, in, in a single parent setting or a one night stand or if your mother was raped. It doesn't matter. If you're here today, the creator of the universe knitted you together perfectly for purpose on this planet and it may have come by the most evil of ways or the most blessed of ways. But one thing remains true. When you were born, we all celebrated in life together. Every single one of us were given life by God. You have a destiny. You do. That's why Romans says, as we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, his purpose for your life. It's not your purpose, and I think that's the problem. Everybody's asking, what's my purpose for my life? And we should be asking, God, what's your purpose for my life? If you're going to come in alignment with it, you need to come in alignment with the reality that he created me for a purpose. And God, as a believer, I want to know what your purpose is. I'm going to share it with you here in a moment because it's pretty vanilla. It's pretty vanilla. I want to tell you a story. There was a mother from Florida. She was a single widowed mother had a number of children. That's why she was a mother. She had kids. And uh, she was listening to something, and a, a preacher saying that they should come to the Car this Caribbean island. I don't remember the island, which is why I'm not telling you the name of the island, but it was in the Caribbean. And uh, somebody came up to her and said, well, if the Lord is telling you, like impressing on you, you should go, you should go. And she said, well, the, the problem is, is I don't have enough money to go. And even if I did, if I take vacation, which I don't have, I have well, how am I going to pay my bills that I'm barely paying with my job when I do work? And then, on top of that, who's going to watch my kids? And we often live, like the gentleman Peter said on Thursday night, needing to know the details rather than living out of obedience. We wanted to know the details before we agree. And, and the lady said to her, well, if God would take care of all of that, would you do it? And she had just heard a message that said, you need to live in the yes until God tells you no. And she said, I will say yes. Some of you in this room, you need to say yes to the missions trip until God tells you no. Well, God worked out everything so she could go on the trip. And she went down there, and while she was there, her heart really began to break for the children that were not in orphanages but wandering the streets of this Caribbean island. And she just began to weep over these children. And when she came home... Even though she wasn't there, they were still in her heart. And she began praying for them. And God said, would you be willing to do... Well, he didn't even ask her if she'd be willing. He said, I want you to go and do something about those children. She said, I'm a nobody. I'm not a leader. I don't have connections. I don't have a name. I don't have money. I got, I got, I'm barely making it here. And God says, will you say, and because of that message where I'm going to live in the yes, she said, yes, Lord. 
Today, there are multiple orphanages now that she has started because God pays for what he orders. God pays for what he orders. Here's our ultimate purpose. You want to know what our purpose is? We waste all this energy trying to find out what our purpose is. And God says, it's very simple. There are five things that make up your purpose. It's very simple. It's very vanilla. Number one, you worship God. You live a life that brings worth to God in a world around us. You just worship him. I'm going to live my life for him. I'm going to live to worship him. Number two, we fellowship. We love the people of God. We just love people. We do not forsake the gathering together. Instead, let us encourage one another. We invest in loving people. The people in this room, you should get to know. If you don't know them, don't go running out after service. The food will be there when you get there. You really need to get to know the people because these may be the people that are praying for you if you're laying on, a death, on your deathbed in a hospital or somewhere, and they show up because you invested in them here. Discipleship, to grow in faith and to help others grow in faith. That's why every single person in this room, I'm challenging you to be discipling one person to grow closer to God. Number th- four, ministry, to serve people and be great. To serve people and to be great. To serve, find a way to minister. Every single week, I'm going to minister, whether that's in, in, in kids' ministry, youth ministry, a small group, teen challenge, the pregnancy care center, where you're ministering to people every single week. And then lastly, evangelism. Be sharing the good news. Of what, share your testimony with people every week. Who have you shared the good news with this week? That should be the thing. We, in evaluating our week, we should ask ourselves, who did I share the good news with this week? That's our purpose. That's our purpose. Here's the second thing. My, but my assignment is something God gives me. We engage it. And now listen to this. God is in charge of your destiny, your purpose. But he has put you in charge of your decisions. You get to choose whether you'll be obedient to the assignments he gives you. Don't allow not knowing your purpose to paralyze you from being obedient to your assignment because a lot of people will never really fully see their purpose until they start doing the assignments. Listen, alignment determines assignment. Satan has been very good at getting people to run after things that have nothing to do with what he's doing because they want to do it. And it takes them out of alignment, which impacts the assignment. I, I remember my, my daughter <clears throat> when she was in high school. Well, I remember my daughter. She's not hard to remember. Mackenzie, when she was in high school. She, I remember her, she came home one night and she hated assignments where you had to do something with the, like the assignment was working with another student. And, uh, and I don't know that she realized it. Like my daughter, when, when boys would flirt with her, she didn't really know it. It like annoyed her. And like she didn't understand that they were flirting with it. She thought they were being mean. And it was funny. <laughs> What's funny about it is my wife tried to teach her how to flirt and it didn't go well. <laughs> she had no problem. She ended up with Edwin. She's fine. She was a great student and wanted a good grade, and she's working with this boy who was a procrastinator, didn't work hard, wasn't good, and she annoyed her anyway in class, 
And what McKinsey didn't understand was the assignment was more than just doing the assignment. It was learning to work with someone else who was not like you, that didn't have the same value and everything. And she would come home and complain to my wife every night about, I'm sure he went home and says, this girl, she's so intense. Like she just does it. She's a micromanager. She wants everything. You know, I'm sure. But the goal was to work together, right? And McKinsey would come home and talk about how irritated he made her and he's just not doing, now I'm going to get a bad grade and I'm trying to keep my average at this point. He's going to give me a bad grade because of all of this and just on and on and on and on. And, and I really stopped because isn't it interesting? God is your partner in the assignment. Except it's not God who's the one procrastinating. And it isn't God that needs to move. And it's not God whose will has to change. It's ours. We're the ones. We're the ones. The whole purpose of the assignment was about working with the Holy Spirit. It's going into alignment with the Holy Spirit and doing what he said. I, you, the, the missionary that was here on, on Friday night, which, uh, if, did you enjoy first week? I mean, everyone, it was just like when you didn't think it could get any better, it was just like the next one got better, and it was just like the next one. And then Dustin, who most of you had never heard of before, if anybody had heard of before, what these, Dustin's a perfect example of the superstars in heaven that you have never heard about will be revealed in eternity, and you will see them and hear their story and go, wow! Why didn't I ever hear that? Because they're not there to glorify themselves. They're just pointing to him. He told us this story in the back where they were in, in Afghanistan in 2004. Do you know 9-11 happened in 2001? This is right when they're going in to, to battle in Afghanistan, and they're there. And they said that their name had come up with the Taliban and that the Taliban were wanting to kill them, to capture them, kill them, and and the U.S. government stopped them, talked to them, and said, you know, the Taliban, you got to leave because the Taliban want to kill, kill you, and your name's coming up, and we're getting your name. I mean, think about that. When That's somebody I don't really want to know me. Like, I didn't wake up this morning going, boy, I hope the Taliban know who I am. I mean, I don't want to, you know, I was known with Al-Qaeda. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not. And, and he's telling the story. And, and this was incredible to me. This is amazing. He said, he went back and he said, we we're going to probably leave. And then he talks to the guy they're working with. And the guy said, did God call you to, Af who called you to Afghanistan? He says, God didn't. He said, did God tell you to leave? Then he said, this is what does it. He said, get to work. Do you see the gap? Do you see the gap? Do you see it? Where the church in America is, where we could just, we struggle to tell the guy we work with, because I might get fired. There's something going on when you see God, where your life, you lay it down because there's something greater. I was in Congo this year, and worst traffic I've ever been in in my life, right? It took 45 minutes to go a half a mile. We we're going to LeBourne Church. And it, we're sitting there in traffic. This like eight lanes backed up. And all of a sudden, someone comes and pounds on the door of the, the car we're in and says, move over. And there were army people, and they were moving everything over. And they were moving them over, and they were moving them over. And then within a few minutes, a car comes flying through, and it was a presidential motorcade coming through. And it occurred to me in that moment, like in this car, 
we have the power to do whatever we need to do, but the man who's not as powerful as the car had the authority and we moved. Power moved by authority. Power moved by authority. And when we're aligned with the authority of the Holy Spirit, all power has to move so that the power of God moves through. You see, Satan has power, but he does not have authority. Satan has power. He possesses power. And yet there are Christians afraid of the power of Satan because they do not understand that greater is he that is in me because he has the authority to bring power over his power. To use power over his power and against that power. Does that make sense? So we need to align our life to engage in what God is doing in order to accomplish our spiritual purpose. John 14, 12 says, very true, I, truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works I've been doing. And they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. We need to align ourselves with God's grace and not our mistakes. Satan has told you all the reasons why you can't and God has already declared that you can. You know, there will be an accounting for your assignments. Did you know that? You will not get participation trophies in heaven. You may make it to heaven and they're like, oh, it's good to have you here, praise God. But there will be people who will be celebrated in heaven. And here's the thing, the reason there will be rewards in heaven is not to point out those who failed their assignments because God's not gonna attack people who didn't do anything. It's to hand out rewards to those who've been faithful to their assignment. 1 Samuel 26, 23 says, The Lord rewards everyone for the righteousness and faithfulness. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. This is what really I shaped this whole message around, was this point right here, my engagement. Do you know a car has an engine? Did you know that? A car has an engine. And in that car, you can ask Dick Thielen, who's in this service he's got a car a blue car that's lighter than the trunk of my Camry and he's got like 50 cylinders in the engine right it, you just don't need that but it doesn't matter how big your engine is doesn't matter how many if it's a V8 V12 V24 V infinity it doesn't matter how much horsepower you have in your engine if it doesn't have a transmission the car cannot fulfill the purpose for its existence. You can rev it. No, 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 no. You can, you can make it sound powerful. You can, you can do all of the things that make that engine look powerful. The power is there. But without a transmission, it does nothing. And you, my friend, are the transmission. You're the transmission. And an interesting thing about the transmission is the transmission determines what the car is going to do. A transmission shifts that power in a direction to do something that the transmission chooses to use it in. So there are some Christians that are just engaged in park. They're not interested in changing anything. They love comfortable. They love status quo. They love relationship with God, and it's fine. And I'm not going to do anything risky. Do you know people get car killed in car wrecks? 
So I want to just stay right here. I'm not going on missions trips. I'm not tithing. I'm not praying for a stranger. I'm not sharing the gospel. I'm not preaching. I'm not doing children's ministry. I'm going to plant myself right here in this place and I'll show up and I'll amen and I'll, and I'll get excited about everybody's story, but I am not shifting out of park. I don't care what God tells me. I'll just go, no, 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 no. I believe God, I believe God exists. I just don't believe he created me for him. Friend, that's what pagans do. Romans 9, 18 to 21 says, therefore God was, has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But you, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what his form same to say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? No, I, w- I will choose. I am my own king. I have created him for me. I'm not doing anything. I'm part. Pastor, you just move on right now. It's easy for you to say, you're sitting up there on that stage and you're all high and mighty thing preaching this. Maybe you don't have any understanding but, but of what I'm going through and you're sitting there just wanting us, but you ain't moving me, Pastor. You aren't hurting me one bit. You aren't hurting me one bit but you're killing yourself. Or there are Christians that are living life engaged and reversed. They live in their insecurity, their identities defined by their mistakes and their failures. They're looking back. They're constantly trying to move forward while they're looking back. And what's interesting is when you look back, you often end up stopping because all you're looking at is all of the regrets of your life. And you say, boy, I wish I would have done that differently. And I wish I would have. And you're, you're living life and you're, by trying to fix things you'll never fix in the past. Or you're somebody who's living life celebrating the victories of the past and the success. Yeah, when I was 22 and God did great things. And it, man, what God did in my life. And we did this when I was... And you're, you're celebrating what God did, but you're still looking back. You're 60! It's been 40 years since those moments. Philippians 3.13 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. The thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Then there are those people in neutral, the Christians that are living engaged in neutral. They're open to everything. One minute they're, they're wanting to start an orphanage. The next minute they're at Teen Challenge. The next minute they get online and they're deconstructing because my faith is falling apart. They're just living in neutral. They have never been obedient to assignment. It's just anything anyone says to try to get, they just move. Whoever's pushing, whatever wind is blowing, they follow. Ephesians 4.14 says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there for every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. You need to guard who you're listening to. 
And then the final is drive. And this is what God's calling us to. There are Christians that are living life engaged in drive. And you're hearing the renown of the story. Philippians 3.14 says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. Heaven word for. To be obedient to the assignment. I don't need to know the overarching uh, uh, purpose. I don't need to know that. All I need to do is be obedient to the assignment God's telling me to do right now. And you just get into drive. And when you drive, you can go pretty fast. But there are seasons of life, obstacles in life that you're going to run into. And you got to shift it into first gear. And it doesn't go as fast as automatic. It doesn't move as fast. Life doesn't move. You're in a tough time. And there's a lot of people, they shift into park when they have tough times. Don't shift into park. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I don't, though I park in the valley of the shadow of death, I walk through it. I shift into first gear. Maybe I'm not moving as fast. But the interesting thing about first gear is first gear gives me the ability to climb over the obstacles I need to climb over. And I can talk about the adventure of what God did when I did it. You see, when you engage in drive, what you're saying is, I'm, I'm going to be obedient to whatever the assignment is that God's calling me to. And to, will you stand? In 2024, let's engage in the assignments and purpose of God for our life and our days. Let's shift our transmission into drive, our attitude, our responses, our motion into drive. Let's just be obedient to what God's asking us to do and not what some preacher's asking you to do or somebody's trying to manipulate you to do or compel you. Let's just say, Holy Spirit, this year in 2024, I promise I'm going to engage in the assignments you've already given me that I've not been faithful in. But I'm going to continue to be engaged in the assignment that's right in front of me right now. And maybe like that Florida mother, I have no idea how you're going to do it. But I'll walk through the doors that you put in front of me. And God, I believe, I believe that you're going to use my life to be a part of the great move of God that's going to be revealed. The gospel explosion that's going to be revealed across this country. Do you believe that? Say, say not, not just because we fasted and had a great week, but you got to deep down inside say, this isn't, I'm not being moved because of a message. I'm being moved because the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now. I'm being moved because I hear the Holy Spirit talking in my heart, imparting, imprinting in my heart a passion for something more. So in 2025, I don't look back and say, I didn't get out of the park. I'm shifting. Holy Spirit, I need your help to shift. Right? Will you just close your eyes right now? And, and the reason we do that is so nothing distracts you, but if you would, just ask the Holy Spirit right now, help me to shift into gear. Help me to shift into drive. Help me to shift. Lord, I, I don't know how to do it. I don't even, it's a great analogy, but how does that practically happen in my life? Holy Spirit, I pray, take this analogy and transform it into something so practical in their heart and their mind that they would see even today, even in the, in the moments following this service, that they would begin to see that, that when they needed help, in their weakness, you're strong. That in their inability, that you can shift them. 
The Bible says we have not because we ask not. So this morning, right now, we want you to come. The promise of the word says, if you knock, I'll open the door. If you ask, I will respond. If you seek, you will find. Right now, just begin asking the Holy Spirit to do that in your life, in your own words, in your own personal way right now. Begin interacting with him. Ask him to put me in drive. If that's all you say, put me in drive. Put me in drive, and he will.